Hello and welcome to this dual episode because this is an episode of Superhero Ethics. And Marvel Movie Minute. Yes, friends, uh, myself and Andy Nelson are teaming up to talk about Thor, Love and Thunder. We're getting into all the things about this movie that we love, things that we maybe didn't have the best feelings about, uh, the characters, the plot, the story, all that and more right after this commercial break that Gore might have control over, the gods might have control over, but certainly we don't. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, one of your hosts. Please do the pronouns. And this is Andy Nelson, he, him pronouns uh, from the Next Real Film Podcast at Marvel Movie Minute. Andy, it's so good to have you back on. For those who don't know, the Marvel Movie Minute podcast does a great show of, they've been taking every Marvel movie from the beginning and doing a literal minute-by-minute coverage of it where there's a short episode about every minute. I got to be the guest on the first Thor movie. Uh, so I was the really guest, happy to, and we had a lot host, of fun. The buddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the co-host, the co-host. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Well, my Paul Hoppy is my most regular guest. He's, for all intents and purposes, my co-host. He refuses that title, so I've just gotten all the titles in my head gotcha, mixed right. up. Um, but yeah, but Andy's been leading that for a long time, and so I'm really happy to have you on, especially because, Andy, I don't know if you felt this way. And by the way, spoilers galore. We're going to spoil everything in this movie. This movie felt very much like a sequel to the first movie. Like... A lot of the same themes in the first movie, especially all the the Jane stuff was coming out. But what was your thought on that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting... uh, Thor is an interesting um, run in the Marvel Cinematic Universe since uh, the first two films had different directors. And then Taika Waititi coming in to do these last two films. And so if there's... it's interesting that you're approaching it from that direction because if there's anything that you can say about Thor as opposed to uh, the Captain America films or mm-hmm. the uh, Iron Man films, like I feel like they all kind of have something different going on with, with in the mm-hmm. world of Thor. There definitely is a line um, with this particular story that, that does connect a lot to that first film as far as Thor's journey, his connection with Jane... Um, and and those elements, um, I, yeah. But but if anything, I feel like this one feels. Uh, it, I mean, it definitely feels very Taika Waititi. This one comes yes, across very, very much very as uh, style wise fitting what Taika Waititi had brought to that first one. But we're really getting back to that world of of gods and um, mid guardians to a certain extent here. So I, I guess I can see where you're where you're looking at yeah. it through that perspective for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a little bit of a, I overall really like the movie, but I have a little bit of a critique of it that to me is also a kind of return to the first movie. But let, let's start, what, what's your, your overall thought on this movie? Well, I'm glad that you liked it because I didn't. So we're going to have <laughs> a good, a good okay, discussion fair enough. about fair this. Enough. Um, well, and it's funny because I, 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 I think Taika Waititi, if anything, over-directed the movie. I felt like mm-hmm. he was the wrong person. I, I, I've also read the Gore the God Butcher uh, comics. I've read some of the issues uh, where Jane becomes Thor. And the tone of those is very... It, it's darker and it's much... Um, it, it's a much different feel from what Taika Waititi brings to film. And so right. as soon as I, I was like, this was what... He was going to follow up uh, like the Thor Ragnarok story. I was like, wow, I don't know if he's the right director to tell that story because mm. it's exploring some much bigger themes. And I just wasn't sure he was really the person to to explore those. 
as I watched the film, I just I really felt like he was the wrong person to tell this particular story. Mm. I was a little frustrated the way that the Jane storyline was brought into this because um, I mean I, I love you know a- after talking about Thor so extensively as we did uh, in the Marvel movie minute where we went through the whole film minute by minute I really became attached to the Thor Jane story and their connection mm-hmm. and I, I really enjoyed what the two of them were doing I was very excited that this was giving them a chance to reunite since she wasn't in Ragnarok um, and and uh, but I felt like her cancer storyline, and we're going to get into this, it, it ended up becoming less about her journey and more about Thor's journey, <laughs> which mm-hmm. seemed wrong for that. a cancer storyline. And I was really like, hmm, seemed weird to kind of go down that road. But I, largely, I guess, it just it ended up being a film that frustrated me um, mm-hmm. more than anything. I think that I, I can understand that. I think for me... Two of the thoughts that I, I had were, well, first of all, I think I, I start any analysis of the Jane and the Gore stories with the idea that from everything I've read and seen, I'm fairly positive that both Natalie Portman and Christian Bale said, I will do one movie. You know, because I, I think on, on one hand, I think there's a lot of first, I can totally understand, like, why did they both die at the end of the movie? I think from the actor's perspective, like, they were not going to sign on to multi-picture deals again. Um... So, and I think I could, like, I think I definitely, I'll talk about both their stories in a bit, but I'll, I would just start by saying I really enjoyed the movie. I think, though, it definitely was a popcorn movie. It was a fun romp that brought up some interesting issues. Um, like, I, I, think, I think I could see an argument saying that if either you made a movie that was Thor and, either that was Thor and the mighty Thor with Jane, or that was Thor and the God Butcher, and gave either of those stories a lot more room to breathe. I think I could I could see the value in that. Um, certainly, I mean, my theology heart wants every bit of Gore the God Butcher because I think that is, in some ways, I think one of the most relatable heroes of one of the most relatable villains we've ever gotten. Um, and I. I, it, I I think maybe if I had read those comics, I would be more where you are. I think maybe because I didn't go in with as much attached to it, I just love the hell out of Taika Waititi's style, and I find I just found myself enjoying every moment of the movie. But I think I can understand why if you went in holding with a like, no, but this story should be so much more. Seeing that okay, this is all of Gore we're gonna get, or all of the Mighty Thor we're gonna get, that that it could definitely be frustrating. Well, that's actually a, an interesting thing to bring up because the the in the comics those two stories are very much connected because oh are they okay uh, yeah well but they're but they're separate and in in, in actuality it's like there's the Thor versus Gore the God Butcher story that you have and at the at the end of that. Um, I'm try- I, I can't remember exactly how the timeline works, but somehow Nick Fury gets some information and he whispers it to Thor. And the information is that he, he whispers to Thor is Gore was right. And mm. that line, when, when Thor hears that, it changes something in his head and he can no longer wield Mjolnir. He loses his ability to, to pick up the hammer and it becomes this, you know, source of frustration for him that he can't, he can no longer uh, wield it. He's no longer worthy to wield Mjolnir. And you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on. But, but what happens is that's when Jane 
starts wielding Mjolnir and becomes the mighty Thor. And he's just, oh, he's, he is just who he is uh, while she's out wielding Thor. And so it's, it's very much one following the other rather than kind of simultaneous. And that also led right. to one of my issues with the film is how they handled Mjolnir versus um, uh, his axe and <laughs> Stormbreaker because it just is like now they're sentient beings. This is another weird thing that I think happened to me because we talked about Thor so much. Mm -hmm. I became so attached to so much of the lore that was set up in that first Thor film that I'm like, well, Odin cast this spell on Mjolnir, you know, whosoever is worthy can wield this hammer. But now it's like they're their own little sentient beings and they're like, it's like, what is going on here? I have other issues with how Taika Waititi handles it handles like characters from the first film like the the mm -hmm. warriors three who he just like completely dismisses I mean, he already <laughs> did in ragnarok but now he made it even worse in this film like at the very beginning he's like this guy this guy whoever this guy is uh yeah <laughs> well, I, I got a couple things to say here that we can kind of dive into a more structured analysis a bit but first of all it's funny um there's right now in the other fandom that i spent a lot of time in star wars there's a bit of a dust up because some of the people involved with some of the new shows, like Andor and Ahsoka, said that like they haven't watched every moment of some of the old shows. And it's this old struggle of like, oh, how dare we make, you know, Ahsoka should be a, uh, a sequel to Rebels, and you should, have ha you should have to watch Rebels to understand this new TV show. And part of what it reminded me of is like, I don't know where this idea of purity comes from, because actually most of the properties now, especially MCU, you basically have a funny narrator catching up everybody who hasn't seen the earlier stuff, you know? And this time it was Rockman, you know, giving hit. But it's, like, it's funny and it's fun, but part of it's also, oh, did you not see Ragnarok? Or did you not remember it? Well, here, this will catch you up. I, I guess I didn't mind that because I... And I think this is one of the things that we differed on somewhat in the first... the When we talked about the first movie, I was never attached to the Warriors 3, I, no. I always disliked yeah. them and thought that they were kind of silly. Um, and I think they were so much better in the comics, and they could have been so much better. It did feel kind of like Tycho, like, taking a poke at Kenneth Branagh, but I thought it was kind of in a loving... Like, to me, that felt like a loving, like, we're going to make fun of the fact that we didn't really do justice to these characters to begin with. Well, and that's... I think that's that's more what irritated me, is, like, there was a chance to, to do something with them. I mean, even Sif... Like, she's not given anything in this film except as a chance to get Thor into the story. And yeah. I was like, oh, you know, I was so excited to see that Jamie Alexander was coming back to play Sif. And I'm like, oh, is this going to be a chance for them to reunite and doing stuff? And she's just dying. And she just has to go to the hospital. <laughs> That's like, yeah. that was the whole thing with Sif. I really felt like, if anything, and I, I, I know, I'm, I'm kind of rewriting the movie. And, you know, it is what it is. And again, maybe it's just because I really wanted, having read more of The Warriors 3... Mm -hmm. I wish that the filmmakers could have at some point figured out what to do with them. But how great would it have been at the very end of the film when Jane gets to Valhalla and she sees Heimdall if there was also Volstagg, Fandral, and Hogan the Grimm there? Like, that would have been just like a nice little, a nice little that, bit of closure. That could have been nice. Didn't need to be there, but it would have been a great little bit of closure. Minor I mean, especially point. Especially he hearing the way you're talking about it, I think, again, in, in the perfect world where every actor has all the availability in the world and sure, wants sure, to do sure. these things, I think... A trilogy that is the first movie is Thor versus the God Butcher, 
and it ends with that line and and you know and the second movie is jane becoming the mighty thor and doing mighty thor adventures and then the third movie is her helping convincing thor to get his mojo back so the two of them can take on gore the god butcher like that'd be yeah. a hell of a trilogy yeah, um, yeah absolutely I, I just I my, my, my sense is just that Natalie Portman and, and Christian Bale were just not up for that, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Well, that was my same thought with Black Widow. Like, it should have been a trilogy. You know, it could have been the yeah. first movie, Sister versus Sister, and then then the two of them pairing up versus Taskmaster, and then finally the third one bringing down the Red Room. Like, it could have been a fantastic right. trilogy. But, it, again, it does boil down to so many things beyond our control, and then it yeah. just becomes, you know, <laughs> fans, us fans trying to say, this is, this. is it would have been this. This is how you should yeah. do it. But, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, because I think here's one of the things that I, I definitely thought they changed from the first movie. And I'm curious your thoughts on it, because maybe I missed something. Um, and to me, it's one of the most interesting parts of the whole movie is this idea of the gods. Yeah. And I, I will get into Gore himself in a moment. But one of the things that you and I talked about extensively in the first movie is that Branagh set it up as these are not gods. These are just members of a more powered, more advanced race of sentient beings who because of the influence they had when they visited earth were perceived by earthlings to be gods and i've kind of been thinking about that as with things like have you seen moon knight yep okay as with things like moon knight and some other stuff we have established no here are actual gods in a much more literal way this movie though seems to erase all of it in this movie, Thor and all of them are just gods. Um, and I think I can understand Gore's perspective, but I'm curious, was that something that bothered you? Or was that something you were thinking about in terms of, like, is this changing the Thor story? Or is it uh, still true to it? I, it was, there's definitely a struggle going on here. Because, um, well, I mean, aside from the fact that the vast majority of them still end up being Midgardian gods in some way, or another. I mean, I guess that's just our perspective. Zeus, all these other you know, gods that we end up seeing in whatever the the god hangout um, place is right. in the movie. There are so many omniscient of them, city. Yeah, omniscient city. So many of them are uh, just from Earth. But that aside, it there's they don't completely dismiss the idea of the gods being these much more powerful beings that live for much longer periods right. of time that just go to earth and hang out periodically. And because they're so much more than we are, you know, the people who first encountered them, see them as this bigger being. Right. Um, so it's not like completely dismissed the idea right. that they set up in the first Thor film. Um, but they certainly latch on to the idea that I'm a god. You know, like Zeus certainly acts that way. Uh, I don't know if they've given... I can't remember if they call out who specifically he is, but Gore's god, that golden guy that he's he's praying to, like, mm -hmm. he certainly acts like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy that you all pray to. I don't do anything for you, but, yeah, I just sit right. here and watch. Like, he acts like he really is nothing more than a god. And so right. to that end, there are those moments in here where it does feel like they're kind of just saying they are gods. And, and I, it's, it's a very tricky line. And I don't mm -hmm. know if they, I don't know if they really sell me on the idea that, that these things are gods that are just out there, um, like, you know, omniscient, powerful beings, as opposed to just super, like super beings that, right. that 
hang around. Well, and here's where I'm, I'm going to try not to give a theology lecture too much, but I, I the theology of this movie utterly fascinated me. Um, but like I think many of us, when we think of God or God, omniscience, omnipresent, omnipotent, etc., those ideas are actually fairly unique to the monotheistic, Abrahamic kind of ideas of God in terms of like you know Moses, you know. Christianity or, or Islam or Judaism or, or um, Zoroastrianism or things like that. And my understanding is that in most, like, the Greeks would have never thought of Zeus as being, you know, he, he had his flaws, he had his problems, there were things he didn't know and stuff like that. And I guess, I, I, really, be, I really believe this idea of gods because it, I, the way I saw it was kind of exactly what you were saying there, that it is... There is no such thing as a divine God in the kind of way people think about it, but that what happens is that all over the universe, these extra powerful beings go to places where they are perceived to be divine and take up that power and often do it in quite awful and manipulative ways. And part of what's interesting to me is that Thor kind of is, Thor and most of the Asgardians decided to leave Earth alone, to not kind of keep that power and not go, like Loki wants to keep doing that, you know, but Loki to me would be almost the kind of god that Gore hates. I would have liked it if Gore had some acknowledgement of like Thor and Odin, you all, you stop being gods, or like you're not doing the bad things that I don't like gods doing. Yeah, and... I, there's the way that um, I, the the idea of the theology, the theologistic approach, uh -huh. I think, is a really fascinating entry into this film because it does give you this sense of, you know, is there is there something uh, is there something powerful with having a being that you can look to or not even a being but a an a thing that you look right. to for inspiration that you look to for hope that you can pray to that you can cry to that you can you know uh you know tell all of your innermost thoughts and feelings to and express i think that there's an incredibly powerful um tool in in, in being able to to do that and just kind of unleash right. um and there is an interesting element also in looking to these things too much and relying on them too much. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, was there – we get so little of Gore and his, his backstory. Uh, all we know is that he's dying in a desert with his daughter and his God doesn't help him. That's kind of all we know. And then he kind of talks about his family and all of his people and he was the last one. So there's a little bit we get, but we don't really mm -hmm. see – we don't we don't get that world. We don't really know really what happened, but it does seem like a group of people who very much pray to whatever the power of this thing is, and you know just whether things are going well, whether things aren't going well, they just look at it like it's because you know it's because of um, what our God has has um, has wished for, you know, and and right. I I think it's. I think that the concept is a really fascinating one, especially to get into in in one of these Marvel films. And and mm -hmm. I think Thor is obviously the perfect character to do that with because he's a god. That whole thing. Um, uh, I I f 
I, I really wanted to get some more exploration of that, though. And we, I mean, I feel like it starts, we get Gore kind of having that initial conversation with his deity that they pray to and kind of his fall from, from believing. Um, and then, then it just kind of like we kind of lose track of that quite a bit. And the right. only time we really come back to that is, and it's not a lot, but it's when we go to, uh, you know, when he when they go to talk to Zeus and, and they're there with all the other gods. And it's just, it, it feels like the god, it, it's an interesting perspective because the gods mm-hmm. are very kind of dismissive of everything. And I think yeah. that's that's kind of that other, that perspective shift of, you know, it's not how we see them. It's like, they're so much bigger. They're like, I know these people pray to me, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not really right. worrying about it right now. I'm just here partying and having orgies. So, I, I don't know. I, I I really like that. I, I I wanted there to be a little more depth in that exploration, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and even yeah. more like like wouldn't it have been great? And, and again, this goes to our initial thought of more gore, maybe save Jane for a later movie more butchering more actual gore going yeah. around and like interesting con- like um um conflicts between him and a god and like you know what is that god doing was that god actually trying to like do stuff for its people was mm-hmm. it just ignoring its people like i think there was more room for that exploration i definitely think we could have gotten more of it and i think it's interesting because i mean everything you're saying is like yeah i would have loved more of it I think, though, that for me, it was sort of a, okay, I get to see the tip of the iceberg, and I'm just so happy to have even that, that, like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel lacking. I still felt incredibly happy and incredibly moved by his, like, I I would say at this point, Gore is, for me, up there with Killmonger as one of the most relatable, and I'm just on the edge of rooting for him villains. Sure. And... I think part of it's because I think what he's raising is in, in in theological studies. There's this question that's often thought of. We use the term theodicy, and it basically means if a god has the power to change anything, and a god is is good, then why would a god allow suffering in the world? And there's lots of different ways that different religious traditions answer it. A lot of them, it's the well because suffering is good for us or stuff like that. My my own school of Christianity is that God can't actually change those things necessarily. That we have to work together and all all that kind of stuff. But either way, I think this is a fascinating question. And you know, I think one of the ways that religion can get most dangerous. And and when you hear stories of people who have left religion, it's often because of things like what Gore is saying. You know, I had a professor uh, in seminary where we talked about prayer and, the, and, and how to approach prayer. They said, look, you know, you always have people come to your church saying, you know, my Aunt Mildred has cancer. Can we please pray for her cancer? And then if a couple weeks later she shows up and says, Aunt Mildred's cancer is in remission, thank you all. If you stand at the pulpit and say, see, the power of prayer works. Now, every single person who prays, if you have told the people that God cured Aunt Mildred's cancer, then now every single person who prays but doesn't work has to ask the question, why didn't God cure my cancer or my aunt's cancer or something like that? And and I think the way, like I, I am a religious person who's very critical of the way religion acts. And I think a huge part of the, the abusiveness of religion is when it buys into this kind of thing, you know? And that's, you, you can say like, is that the fault of the God or is that the fault of the people who talk about worshiping the God? Th- that would be another, like, if we had another half hour, that could have been a great thing is to see like Gore, 
hearing these proclamations from the people who were religious like him and the God being like, I, I just sit here and eat my flowers. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but I did like that it was, no, we're going to blame the gods themselves because I do think that like, yeah, if a being sets itself up and says, yeah, worship me and do all these things. So yeah, I just, I, I think you're right. We could have had a lot more, but just the bit we had, I thought was so powerful I thought Christian Bale's acting was some of the best we've seen in the MCU. Um, I know there was some talk about covering his whole face with makeup, but I thought that they, they letting him be so expressive really worked because he, I, I just think he sold the hell out of that performance. Um, and yeah, so I think I, just, like, I can hear what you're saying. I think maybe if I had, like for me, if this is all I ever know of Gore the God Butcher, this is a fantastic story and I'm happy with it. Yeah. If I had known all the comic stuff you're talking about and I felt like I only got 5% of Gore... I can definitely understand the frustration. Well, and I think think people are going to approach it, yeah, from from different perspectives because of that. But I do think Mm -hmm. what they give us in the film is like, you're right, it's the tip of the iceberg. And I guess for me, it's just like I just wanted a little more meat. And I feel Mm -hmm. like um, it was was frustrating for me because, like, I I find that such a, a perfect conversation and a topic and theme to explore in the Thor film, but then I felt like Taika Waititi just kept shoving candy in my mouth. <laughs> have this instead. You know, we, you don't need to have this 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 meaty bite. Just have some have some more sugar, and and like the balance was like never quite uh, right for me. And I, I guess mm-hmm. that's my biggest frustration with it is like I, I wanted him to actually take the time to to give those explorations just even a little more thought and a little more. Yeah. Um, focus because I, I felt like he kept just jumping like it was a very manic movie I felt like we were all over right. the place all the time uh, and, and and I also I mean I love Taika Waititi's style uh, you know um, I really enjoyed what he did with Ragnarok but I felt like it, it almost felt like he was even trying to one-up himself or something because <laughs> it just was mm-hmm. like taking it to like such an extreme place that I just felt like he he was just like losing track of things uh, you know and and i mean and there's i mean there's a lot of stuff to laugh at in here i loved the goats i thought that was hilarious <laughs> I, and i was thrilled that we did bring kind of that mythos of thor mm-hmm. and his you know his carriage getting pulled by goats into this universe that was a great thing to do um but in 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 many ways i just felt like um there was just a lot of, a lot that taika waititi was trying to do in crafting the story and because of that mm-hmm. for me i just felt like he's giving us just just enough taste to like wet our appetites or at least wet my appetite and then he's just kind of taking the plate away before i mm-hmm. really get to you know enjoy That's the fair. meal well all right so putting talking though just about the characters themselves so yeah gore as a character what did you think of him and his motivations and did he feel like Great. a relatable villain to you oh or? yeah i i completely agree with everything that you said I, yeah. Just such a fascinating character. He does. I mean, they definitely did some design uh, changes to kind of just allow mm-hmm. for Christian Bale's face to be there more. It's very, very much more like an alien-looking character in the comics. Yeah. Uh, I really didn't have any issue with how they modified him. I thought he looked great. He uh, like the way that he um, changed over the course of the film as the Necrosword kind of continued. 
um, uh, twisting him and and distorting his his kind of shape shape of the world and everything. Like I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the way that he manipulated the shadows, um, and uh, just I don't know. I felt like character design was great and uh, performance. Yeah, I mean Christian Bale. You're mm. right. This is one of the great uh, performances in the MCU, especially as a villain. He just it's very relatable, very, uh, and, and honestly, like the shift at the end when Thor kind of confronts him with um, that final moment there when they're talking to Eternity or when they're in front of Eternity, mm. that sold me. Like, I bought into exactly that switch that Christian Bale had yeah. there. Uh, like, it was a powerful moment, and it's all because Christian Bale. I mean, he's such a such mm-hmm. a uh, powerful actor who can dig so deep and bring so much out with such little um, f- seeming effort. Um, it was it was really powerful. I, I loved every bit of him on screen. Yeah, and I have to say, I I loved the ending mostly because of that. It surprised me. And what I mean by that is that once we started the final big battle scene and we saw. You know, Stormbreaker trying to open up the pathway to eternity. I was like, okay, I get it. We're going to have this big battle and uh, Gore is going to be defeated, but the door will be opened. And so Thor will walk through and he'll make his wish to save Jane's life. Cliche. I'm a little disappointed, Taika, but fair enough. Um, And then they didn't do that. Instead, it was like, oh, oh, okay, no, this and. And in some ways, like, I thought there was something, so much of this was about how much can you claim your own power, that to me, for the final confrontation to be Thor embracing his powerlessness, that he doesn't try to, like, use his strength to knock him away and not allow him to make the wish or something like that. He just is like, go ahead, make your wish. I've, I've made my claim. Um, it reminded me a lot of the first Doctor Strange and him kind of confronting Dormammu the way he did, and I just... That choice alone, I thought, really sold me. You don't get um, that sort of final battle often in a Marvel film. Usually Mm -hmm. it is kind of like uh, fight, 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 and death. And that's kind of, you know, I mean, it's fine. It works. But in context of what you can do, yeah, I mean, this, this does feel very much more like that Doctor Strange ending where the hero found a different way to to win and it's rare and it's exciting when that does happen and yeah you're right that that was a great great moment mm-hmm. um the other thing i was going to say just about what you were saying about the the corruption of the sword about partway through the movie i was somewhat frustrated because i was thinking wait a minute you want me to feel like gore is this very relatable character who has a very understandable rage and is doing his attempt to to hurt the people who he thinks are hurting others. But now he's kidnapping and torturing children. How am I supposed to still root for this character? But but later in the movie, there's two things I, at least I took away from it. One is that I don't think he ever attempted, he ever meant to hurt the children. He knew the children would help him get Stormbringer, but he was never intending to actually hurt the children. And that that scene where he is talking to the children in the cage and, like, you know, does the thing with the the puppet shadow creature and ripping its head off, I had first read that as him being horrible and sadistic. I think now that if I got to the time I got to the end of the movie, 
I think he was genuinely trying to connect with these kids and be like, kids, don't worry. I'm not going to hurt you. We're going to be okay. But the corruption of the Necrosword had gotten him to the point where, like, he didn't really remember how to deal with kids very well and thought that, like, yeah, let me show you my Shadow Beast. Oh, you're scared of it? Let me rip its head off. Does it, is everything better? <laughs> what, what was kind of your take on, on, that, on that part of his character? Uh, yeah, I... I mean, it's, there's definitely like this this strange element to the story that I didn't click with with him kidnapping the children and using it as a way to um, to get back or to get Thor and to get Stormbreaker so that he can mm-hmm. he can open this gate. I didn't I I struggled with that entire um, thread and um, uh, there was a review on Letterboxd. I can't remember. I think it was Demi uh, out of Bay who said something to the effect of. Uh, there, it, it felt like the the biggest um, uh, advertisement for like a, 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 a Make a Wish Foundation, like having all these oh. kids <laughs> imbued with superhero powers at the end. I was I, I was rolling my eyes through that whole scene. I'm like, yo, the super teddy bear is fighting the bad guys. I was like, oh, oh I love that. Yeah. I. I know that they're going to be selling a teddy bear with light up laser eyes, but I just thought that whole scene was so charming and fun. It, yeah, it just, it, but it did. It felt like the filmmakers um, were. It, it reminded me, honestly, a lot of um, Robert Rodriguez and some of the films that he was doing, like when he had kids, like the Spy mm-hmm. Kids franchise. I enjoyed the first film to an extent, but then it felt like I think after that he started like actually giving his son co-writing credit and and those films really seemed to kind of drop off into fantasy land for kids. Great for kids, but as a as an adult watching it to, you know, enjoy a Robert Rodriguez movie, it just didn't click with me. This felt very much like um, you know, Taika Waititi. And I mean all their kids are in it too, we should say. Right. I mean, um uh, in Chris Hemsworth's uh, kids, like all of the kids, it's like they were consulting the kids and doing like, oh, let's get the kids in there and have them being superheroes mm-hmm. and everything. And it just felt like so much stuff for, for like kids to real. And I imagine kids are really going to um, love that aspect of the film. For me, it just, it, it felt um, it, with a character, Gore, the God butcher, I wanted more of him confronting different gods throughout the story rather yeah. than, killing one god in the beginning and then we get like a guardians of the galaxy newsreel of him having done a bunch of stuff and then we see him kidnapping kids and that's it like we don't see him butchering any gods i was so disappointed that they took this character and didn't give us really anything that is in his his description and um so that whole the kidnapping of the kids i mean i get what you're saying about the way that he kind of played that, but I, it mm-hmm. just, it, as a story element, I felt like it was one of the weakest things for me that they could have done something okay. a lot more interesting to get Thor to finally get there and, and confront him. It, it's funny. Like, I mean, part of what's happening here is like, I definitely think it's one of those movies that like the spectacle and the joy of it is enough that like I, it kind of covers up some of the problems. Cause yeah, as we're talking, I'm also realizing other things where it's like, Oh, you could have done this. Um, <laughs> I think, though, for me, I think we should have different expectations of it because I, I, there's a lot of things I can bring up. I'm going to go into some of them now, but, like, like I think part of what you're saying is one of the bigger frustrations that I also had was, and not even a frustration that I had while watching it, but just I'm thinking about it more, Thor never really had, and I think this is kind of going to the thing that, like, 
in a way, I think Thor is perfect to deal with gore, but in a way he's not because Thor is someone who has, like, he's never act. he isn't a god in his own, I mean, he calls himself the god of thunder, but, like, he isn't doing the things that gore is mad that gods do. And I right, think like he's not Thor listening got, to the people of Norway and, and, and right. like, yeah. And Thor got to have the moment of, like, realizing that, like, the other gods were terrible. But I can see the idea that, like, a, a gore story should involve Thor on some level dealing with the idea of, you know, what what effect did they have on Norway or whatever by, by claiming to be gods. And... But, like, everything they've done with... It would have felt in some ways also if, like, all of a sudden we visited this fishing village in Norway where they prayed to Thor for to stop the storms, but the storms still made a boat capsize. Like, it would feel so weird because that's not who Thor has been this whole time through all these other movies we've gotten. Um, so, like, I, I feel like what they had... Because by the end, I think Thor doesn't really seem to care if, if Gore kills all the gods. He just wants to protect the kids. But he does want to stop the killing of the gods too. Yeah, it's like I don't know. Like I, I feel like you're good. You're doing a good job poking holes in the movie, and like I'm recognizing them and I'm agreeing with them. I just don't care because it was just so much fun. Well, and I, I think there's. I mean, and that's I think uh, something that that definitely Taika Waititi brings is you know he is a person who brings that fun and that energy and great soundtracks and uh, mm. I mean he's clearly having fun with these characters and I mean all these people are I mean Chris Hemsworth I think that he would be happy playing Thor uh, to the end of his days because yeah he clearly <laughs> loves working out let's just say that he he works out like no one mm. I've ever seen uh, but also clearly just has fun with this uh, with this character that uh, you know I mean he himself is kind of doing a um, uh, a, 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 he's. I don't want to say he's spoofing kind of the character, but he's mm -hmm. he's acknowledging that there's this level of goofiness to like the, this intrinsic idea of this right. kind of like this all powerful god and stuff. Like he's clearly, and we we talked about that in in the first season of Marvel or the the when we talked about the Thor movie that there is this kind of intrinsic, um, you know, this pompous grandiosity and stuff that kind of goes along with this whole thing, and and you know. Over time, Chris Hemsworth really seems to have latched onto just yeah. you know what he can do with that, and so I really appreciate that he he does that. And I think working with Taika Waititi, I think they're clearly having a great time with it. I just I, I guess for me, I just think that the story of of Grandmaster and uh, just everything going on in Thor Ragnarok with Hela, I, I felt like it was a story that allowed them to 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 do all their playing. And, you know, tell a great story at the same time, and it worked really well. I think in this case, I just felt like if they had just picked a different story, I feel like I, I personally, and I know a lot of people, mm -hmm. there's a lot of praise for this film out there. I, I know I'm one of the more curmudgeonly people out there right now. But, <laughs> That's fine. But I know, like, um, I, I, I just wish that it was a, a story that would have worked better. Like, I mean, Beta Ray Bill is a crazy, like a, a bonkers Thor character that is like, um, would have been something that could have worked really well in a Taika Waititi story because it's like this this crazy alien Thor character. It's like, yeah, bring us that. That seems very Taika Waititi, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and you could do something, like explore something really crazy like that. And I just, I don't know. I felt like 
maybe it's just because he did Jojo Rabbit and he's like, oh, I, I'm going to do fun but serious or more serious films now. And he so yeah. he decided to tackle this. And I just like, eh, I, you know, like I felt like the That's Russo fair. brothers honestly would have been able to handle this story better than Taika did. I can see that. And, and this is, I think, I mean, by the way, listen to Marvel Movie Minute, uh, the Thor, listen to all of it, but the Thor season, Andy and I go into this kind of question a lot. I think one thing we talked about there was that I was never as sold. I, I love doing that in-depth analysis made me appreciate so much more about the movie. But after we were done, I watched the whole movie again and was like, this is not a very good movie. It's just not. <laughs> and I think part of it's because I, I never bought Thor in the brand, like Branagh, you think Taika Teo takes him a little bit too seriously. I think Branagh, a little too silly. I think Branagh takes him too seriously. Like I, I think this, to me, this is the himbo Thor, you know, that uh, uh, Taika and, and Chris Hemsworth have, got, have put together. I do think I kind of want to see the chat group between Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, and Robert Downey Jr., where the, two, the other two of them are like, we're, why are you, we did three movies each, we're fine. We're doing other things. And Chris is like, nah, man, I got four movies now. I'm going to have five. Because now there are more Thor movies than either Captain America or Iron Man. And yeah. as you said, we're going to keep going. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like the two of them being like, oh, this poor schnook, he just wants to do MCU <laughs> movies. And he's like, you want to find new characters? My, my job's easy. He can just play the same character until the end of time. Um, right, right. And I will say a cool thing. Um, uh, I'm sure you probably know this, Andy, but I think a lot of our listeners may not know. The the girl who winds up becoming like Thor's adopted daughter now uh, is played by Chris Hemsworth's child. Chris right. Hemsworth's daughter. So that's a fun thing. And... The wolf girl who he kisses in the early part of the movie is played by Chris Hemsworth's wife. So <laughs> he's getting kind of all of his family in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although bring up, here, here's the point I thought that most felt incongruous to the first movie by being too close to the first movie. Those first scenes where he is just so pompous and so, I'm here to save everybody while wrecking everything. That felt so much like the Thor of the first part of the first movie yeah. that that felt like we were going backwards and he hadn't learned all the lessons that he had. Did you have that same feeling? Oh, absolutely. I, I felt like the entirety of everything he was doing with the Guardians of the Galaxy at the beginning could have just been cut. And it just, like, it yeah. didn't fit. I, I was like, has this character, like, gone back in time? Because it was like he has, like, retracted. And it was very, I don't know, I, I was frustrated that I felt like like we're back to him on Jotunheim when he's just foolishly making decisions that end up causing all this damage and hurting people and he doesn't see it. And he just, in this case, he didn't have Odin <clears throat> to yell at him, you know? And, right. and uh, yeah, it was, it was very strange that they went back to that place with this character. Like the only way I can sort of see it is if the idea is like him and Star-Lord just bring out the worst toxic parts of each other, you know, just some sort of machismo nonsense but yeah, I was like, they didn't sell that, <laughs> and frankly, I didn't, I don't, I didn't want them in the movie. You know, I was happy to like, I think we could skip all of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what? Let's talk about some of the other characters. So, what did you think of the Mighty Thor, of Jane becoming Thor, that story? I, I mean, I really enjoy that story, and I thought in the comics, uh, and again, that I, I hadn't finished reading all of those. Um, as we're recording this, but I was enjoying what they were doing with it. I liked the whole concept of her, you know, struggling with cancer and finding this way to kind of, um, you know, keep herself going by, you know, taking up Mjolnir, um, even if it 
is in a way ends up slowly kind of killing her or killing her even more quickly as it turns out um i i found that to be a really interesting element in the character here i i felt like we kind of rushed through it though like uh, and, it, you know, I don't know, maybe it was just I was really tired of Korg's storytelling, like the narrator breaks that we kept getting with Korg. Like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I personally would have rather had the Warriors 3 than Korg. I am so tired of that character now. And I just it like okay. I just don't care about that dumb rock guy. He was great in <laughs> Ragnarok, but it's too much now. Um, I really um, like Jane shows up and she's and you get this sense. And then it's just like it's kind of like this silly uh, telling of how she did it, and I, it's it's it, the film was frustrating for me because I really wanted there to be a stronger emotional connection for me with her journey in the film, so that by the time we mm-hmm. get to the end and we realize she's sacrificing herself and everything, like I, I wanted there, I wanted to have tears on my face, and I just yeah. like I felt nothing, and it was that ended up being very frustrating for me because I felt like uh, I I really wanted Jane to be back in the Thor stories. And I just don't feel like they they did her justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I just we just have very different reactions to it because I did have tears on my face, like when oh, she made you? that sacrifice. Yeah, it, it definitely hit me. And I think you know the MCU has is still we're, we're getting better, but still has not been so good about women characters. And I thought it was like again, I, I think we could have done a lot more with her. I would have loved to have her have more movies. Um, and, and if I find out Natalie Portman would have been happy to do a second movie, I'm going to have a very different feeling about all this. Um, cause at first I was like, how could you introduce her just to kill her off? Yeah. But I was like, no, actually this is subverting the expectations. It is her who gets to make the sacrifice play. I thought, I really loved seeing Natalie Portman at the beginning, especially that like, you know, they've shown her, I think part of it was they showed her having cancer, but also just, she, she's older. And I think she was able to be very attractive without looking like she's still in her twenties. Um, I thought the amount of agency that they gave her was really impressive, especially and not what you often see, especially towards the end. Because again, there I was like, if she, if she, if the whole end battle is just Thor going off to fight while both Valkyrie and Jane are in hospital beds, I'm gonna be real pissed <laughs> about it. But when I saw, yeah, what they were setting her up was that she gets to make that choice, you know, because like I thought something that Thor said was very telling, where he. What he said was that why he wants her to stay is because I don't want to lose you. Like, to me, that hit me really hard in terms of, like, like I don't think Thor's being terrible there, but I think he's, he's, he's doing something very understandable, but still really kind of terrible. Not, uh, you know, not great to her, of sort of saying, like, your choices, your agency is less important than your value in my life. And her being able to be like, yeah, I could have this great long life with you. But A, I think she realized like he wasn't going to win the battle without her. So he wouldn't have had that anyway. But also her getting to make the choice of like, no, I would rather, (coughs) you know, (coughs) like how often does Sif say, like, let me die in a glorious battle. She gets to do that. And like part of the whole Asgardian mythos is that you can... That's a valid choice to make, is to say, I don't want to be safe. I want to die in glorious battle for a good cause rather than dying in my bed 50 years from now. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I, it really sold me. I thought it was really powerful. And I thought the way they brought them back, like, I thought the, the I get that you don't like Korg voiceover. I still love him. But I thought the way they, because we never really actually found out why him and Jane broke up. And it was kind of perfect the way because it was just his telling of it and that 
getting to actually see the whole story of why it happened and then seeing them get back together. I, I, because it felt to me like what was essential was that he could never quite see her as an equal. And now that he did, then that's what allowed them to, to reconnect. And I, I do really like that element of it. Um, <coughs> I just feel like they could have done that like at the very start of the film. I mean, we could have had that whole storyline happening of Thor and Jane mm -hmm. and watching their relationship almost like up, except it's like Thor and Jane as the relationship falls apart and they break up. And right. like we could have had all of that just without without Korg telling it to us. Um, you know, I, I just yeah, I, I felt like there were some it just it's some of it is just structural issues. Like I just felt like yeah. there were other ways they could have handled it to get us there. So that's fair. That's fair. Um, I will say also something because it's a drum that I've been beating for a long time. I am glad that we got confirmation that Valkyrie is uh, lesbian or bi. Um, I did sort of feel like, okay, I, like, it's sort of a, we are so starved for queer content in the MCU that I'm happy they gave us this, but the fact that they didn't even allow Valkyrie to kiss someone, like, it was just sort of a, <coughs> okay, Marvel, you are pushing the bar, one, literally, you've raised the bar literally one slot ahead. Good for that. But come on, you could have done so much more with that. <laughs> <coughs> it's, you know, it's always going to be one of those things where um, it, it's, it, it, I think they, I don't know, as a company, Disney is, you know, I have a lot of positive and negative things to say about Disney as a mm -hmm. big company. Uh, I will say in recent years, I, it's actually been, impressive that they have actually been allowing for this in in oh, their yeah. stories and um and it takes big companies like that to make those changes to to allow it to become something that is normalized and it's it's a process and i think we're just in yeah. that in the growing pains of a process of things you know working through this shift and uh, to yeah. that end it's you know i mean it I, I think that it's always going to be looked at, especially like in the future, as we're looking back on this period as, you know, as a frustrating period. But in the end, I think it's getting us to somewhere where, you know, yeah. things are uh, it, better. It is progress. I was very happy they did it. Like I cheered at the moment where Valkyrie had the little like, you know, flirtation moment with one of the, the Greek maidens. <laughs> I just wish I could have done more. But, yeah. you know, we had some more in Eternals and some other things, so... Yeah, yeah. Slow progress, but it is progress. Yeah, and I, yeah. I liked what they did with Valkyrie's character also. Like, I thought all the stuff about her being the president of... She, she's King Valkyrie, but she's basically, like, <laughs> the mayor of this town. Right, right, And having to do, you know, like, the ribbon cutting for an ice cream shop and the meetings. Uh, I, I just loved all that. <laughs> it was fun. They, they clearly are having fun with that character. And it was fun to see because she's also clearly not really enjoying her new role as the leader mm -hmm. and she's just like i'd rather just go out and kick some ass <laughs> yes yeah. like so that was pretty funny i i did enjoy uh i enjoyed her i didn't enjoy her as much as, as i enjoyed her in ragnarok and i think it's just because i i wanted her to have a little bit more uh in the story and i just you know mm -hmm. they give her they give her some stuff to do here i am glad they did um, yeah, I just wish it could have been a little more. I, I think that's fair. I think they help. 
I thought the scene with her and Jane and her kind of supporting Jane was really powerful and really needed. But yeah, it did feel like they were like, okay, we want to have like Valkyrie supporting Jane, but Jane be the focus in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, to it's that like, end, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the the character worked to that extent, you know, kind of helping right. bolster Jane as the as the primary character of the story uh, or primary, you know, other character in the, right. in the Thor story. Um, so to that end, I, it was fine. And yeah, mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't have worked as well if she was also there at the end. I think the fact that it was just Thor and Jane makes that work mm -hmm. that much more. Yeah. Thor and Thor, yeah, at the end. Yeah, the two. Yeah. And I, I did love her line of like, you know, I'm not Lady Thor. You know, that that they felt a little bit of like kind of like the Ghostbusters thing of like we're going to pointedly, you know, knock out the critics a little bit. But I, I appreciated that. I, I loved that. I loved her struggle coming up with a, mm -hmm. uh, her own... <laughs> Her, her own tagline, you know, whatever. Like, the, there were some moments that I, that, and again, we talked about this in the first season. Natalie Portman actually has some great comedy chops when she's given a chance to, mm -hmm. to really use it. And, like, there were moments in here that stood out, like, okay, she's, she knows what she's doing. She's clearly uh, working at that, at the comedy levels. And so I, I did yeah. enjoy that. I think it's very true. I think it's very true. Um, something else I can say about that, but it's gone entirely out of my head. Um, all right, yeah, so I think we've kind of hit most of the major things in the movie. Is there any other kind of last things you wanted to bring up? I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I think we've pretty much covered everything. I mean, it, it's, um, it looks, it looks great. It's a very colorful, vibrant film, uh, as mm -hmm. Taika really seems to have latched on to kind of like that, um, kind of vibrant, I, I, I feel like, that's kind of become an element of kind of the galactic stories because you certainly get that in the Guardians of the Galaxy films too. Right. They're just kind of big, over-the-top, colorful films. Taika's really kind of gone mm -hmm. with that. Um, and I'm okay. Like I was debating, was there too much Guns N' Roses in this one? You know, because it was kind of Led Zeppelin <laughs> last time, Guns N' Roses this time. I think it was okay. I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, like I wish I knew like why is there a reason that we're kind of going down these roads like guardians of the galaxy it feels very connected to everything going on with uh, peter quill and his childhood right. and the connections to his mom as far as what we're listening to in the films in these ones i i'm like is it just is it just for kind of a style thing i'm not exactly sure why why uh taika has latched on to these particular kind of 80s uh 70s and 80s uh groups but it i don't know it, it gives it a fun feel though i mean i think it's part because his version of thor looks like the cover of an 80s hair metal band you know yeah. like and I'm, I'm not saying like hair metal is often a dismissive term i love I, this is the music i grew up with i did get to a point where i re-listened to the lyrics as an adult and was kind of horrified at what i listened to <laughs> and was surprised they they took the welcome to the jungle song that starts it out early far enough that the lyrics get real bad um <laughs> but you're not really paying attention to them unless you know that song very well but yeah i, I think that's the point is it, it, it it's kind of like to me it was kind of a fun stylistic thing um like i thought all the music worked and then like when i started hearing the guitar at the end and was like oh this is the november rain solo it made me really really happy yeah. um but yeah but i can see it being a little odd i i, I did say you brought up there's something else i wanted to comment on which is that in terms you're right that he really makes the the whole world outside Earth incredibly colorful. I thought, and again, I don't know anywhere near as much about this as you do, but in from a limited understanding of cinematography and the use of color and stuff like that, 
the way they portrayed the Shadow Realm as being... It, it didn't just look like a black and white film. It looked like a world where most of the color has been leached out. But, like, the white is very vibrant of his robes. And the, um, the, the Thunderbolt still was bright yellow. And then, like, as they got more powerful, the blue of Mjolnir and Stormbreaker both became stronger. I, I just thought that was absolutely brilliant and fantastic to watch. Yeah, that, that's, that whole sequence of the film was pretty stunning the way that they mm-hmm. designed that with the, the the bleaching out of the colors except when they're like wielding their weapons like Mjolnir Stormbreaker uh, Zeus's lightning bolt yeah they kind of like push some color into this place that they kind of described it as a place where color is even afraid to go or whatever they say yeah uh, it was kind of fun I mean like there were little things that they did like that like um, there was a little nod to um, you know a very early Georges Méliès film, um, A Trip to the Moon, where they crash uh, the into the, the... It looks like a distant planet, but as they're flying toward it, suddenly they crash into it, and you realize, oh, it's so much smaller than I realized. It's like a meteor. Like, there were fun mm-hmm. little things that they clearly were, you know, doing in the story uh, it, through that whole sequence that um, made it stand out as something a lot more unique than you, you, you normally see. So I, I, I agree. Yeah. That was a pretty impressive part of the film to look at. So I'm going to close with two last questions. Sure. Um, <coughs> I'm going to close with two last questions. One, I don't know if you caught this, but when they're, he's naming all the gods he sees in that god city, there's a quick reference to, you know, here's this god, here's this god, there's the god of carpentry. Yes. <laughs> That's a, don't worry, Christians, we're acknowledging your god exists, right? Like, I completely thought that. I, I was okay. I was, ex- I was almost expecting a cutaway, you know, but yeah, it, it would have, might have been pushing it a little too far, but yeah. I, I would have loved to see a cutaway of a very dark-skinned G- Jesus, which <laughs> right. it should be, but yeah, no, that, I, I can see why they, they weren't going to quite go that far, um, but I did love they did that. Because it's a very Taika, like, you know, twisting the tail a little bit while kind of throwing it, throwing a bone. <coughs> but the other thing was, you brought this up and I meant to ask it before. Am I right that we don't know what Jane's final catchphrase was? The, the mighty Thor whispers it in Thor's ear. And I, I kept waiting to see, like, a gravestone with it written on or, like, her to say it to Heimdall or something like that. But we never got it, did we? No, I mean she screams when she does. Uh, when she does actually jump up that one time, she does shout, "Eat my hammer!" Um, right. But I, I didn't get a sense that that was it because she's whispering it. So yeah, I don't think that we ever actually got to hear what it was. Which mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah, one of those things. A little disappointing, but I, I wonder if it was supposed to be that she gives the idea for like. I would kind of love it if it was. it's funny, I just thought of this now and got goosebumps, uh, and I would wonder why they didn't make it clearer if the phrase she whispers to him is love and thunder. And that's what then becomes the the love and thunder of her and of him and the kid. Right, right, right. That's interesting. That's interesting. Is is the kid a part, like, is Thor being a Dilf and, like, having this, like, like, young daughter who he teaches to fight along with him, is that in the comics at all? That certainly wasn't part of the gore storyline. Okay. I... I don't. Uh, the, the gore storyline does not end at all like this, where it, with that that decision point of mm-hmm. the character, it really is more kind of standard Marvel stuff, where it's just you know, right. in the in the case, it, it it's very complicated because there's multiple, there's time travel, there's three Thors, mm-hmm. old Thor, young Thor, and regular middle aged Thor, 
all fighting Gore at the same time, and and I can't remember which Thor. I think Middle Age Thor defeats him by using Mjolnir from two different uh, timelines to strike him at mm-hmm. the same time. So very much just kind of your standard fight battle ending. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, there's no daughter or anything, which um, okay. made for a more interesting ending here. Makes me wonder where they're going now. You know, or as right. we have. Uh, as as the title says, now we've got love and thunder. Where are we going to go? I mean, like we've been every time a kid shows up, it feels like for the last five years we've said some version of, oh, that's going to be in the Young Avengers. But like there are so many of them by now, and some of them are starting to age out of the, the Young Avengers yeah. that I don't know. Like I don't really know if you could have a movie with like Kate Bishop and this date, you know, and yeah, right, right, the right. Wanda's kids and all them. Like <coughs> maybe we're gonna have like. Ant-Man's daughter becomes somebody. Uh, all these yeah. different Teen yeah. Avengers and Tween Avengers. You know, I, we'll see. So. <laughs> well, and I mean, all obviously right. we have Hercules coming up. I mean, that's kind of the next story. Yes. And I know that's been something that has been a common uh, battle in the in the comics. It's these two heroes. It, it's, it's very much kind of a Superman-Batman sort of thing. It's two heroes going head-to-head, um, you know, coming together in the end to fight the common good sort of thing. And um, right. So I'm I'm curious where they're going to go with that. And again, yeah, will his daughter be here helping him? I don't know. Right. Well, especially since one of the the, the credit scenes definitely establishes that Zeus is still alive. Yeah. Uh, and still wants to do things. So. Right. 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 All right. Well, That's interesting. Andy, I'm really glad we got to do this. Yeah. Um This kind of joint episode together. So do you want to uh, for for those on my side of the fence um, uh, who are hearing you maybe the first time or hearing once again, what's going on in the next reel these days? Uh, well, the next reel, uh, we are we have actually entered our summer hiatus. We just finished our entire uh, year's worth of, of films where we talked about uh, films directed by women. And so that was uh, our big 11th season, um, a lot of fun, getting ready for our 12th season, which is all big franchises and series. So we're kicking that off with the original Star Wars trilogy at the uh, end of July, beginning of August. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be fun. Uh, kind of uh, way to kind of take that one, and then if, over if in the you Marvel... need a guest for any of those, yes. uh, I know someone who kind of knows Star Wars. A you might bit. know a little. You might know something or two about Star Wars. Um, and then on the Marvel Movie Minute side of things, we're in our hiatus. We're just kind of ending our hiatus uh, between the season that we did talking about Thor and Captain America: The First Avenger. Um, those episodes kick off the beginning of August as we'll be exploring the fifth film in the Marvel Cinematic. I, I will say also that there's an episode you did about the. Uh, cinematic classic a true glory <laughs> of superhero cinema that is the 1979 captain america yes. that um uh andy owes me a drink for making me watch that movie <laughs> but i i did go on a podcast and and rant quite a lot about my anger about having you made to watch oh, that movie so. i think we all did that was not so, that was not it was more was fun, fun to make podcast. fun of, honestly yeah. yes yes i i i don't know if it's happened yet but i i, uh, I want you know to me, it's still Mystery Science Theater 3000. Now I know they call it riff, it's Riff Tracks, but I want the Riff Tracks version of that movie because I want professional Definitely. comedians tearing that movie apart. It's uh, well, thank you, and, and I'm so glad you could be on this. For those who are uh, new to me on the, the Next Real side of things, you may have heard me a lot on the Thor Minute by Minute. We had a ton of fun up with, but you can find me more on, uh, if you go to theethicalpanda.com, that's my website. There you'll find both of my podcasts, Superhero Ethics, is one that's where we kind of dive into these issues uh this is more of a review kind of episode often though we'll do kind of more like we'll take the the issues and the questions and so we did a whole bunch of stuff about moon knight 
Uh, we will do an episode just on the theology of this movie. Uh, this can be a lot of fun. We did a bunch. We just did a coverage of Stranger Things. That was a lot of fun. And then my other podcast, the Star Wars Universe podcast, we did episode by episode coverage of Kenobi. We talked a lot about the Star Wars Rebels. We do a lot of other deeper things, and we are getting super excited for episode by episode coverage of Andor, which I'm really looking forward to that show. So I'm having myself, Andy. Thank you all so much for listening in. Uh, please check out all the great things happening on the next reel. Check out all the great things happening on uh, Superhero Ethics and Star Wars Universe podcast and The Ethical Panda. And most importantly, as fans, be good to each other. Until next time.